Hello and welcome to episode 165 of AvTalk. I am Ian Pechnik here as always with Jason Rabinowitz. How are you, Ian? I'm doing well, Jason. How are you? I'm great. I'm back home. Nice you out. You are back home. I missed the weekend of unpleasantly warm weather in New York. That makes me happy. Well, it's because you escaped to Canada. I did, where it was decidedly not 90 degrees or whatever the equivalent in Celsius grade units might be. Celsius grade units. I think it's like 30, 30 plus Celsius, 90, I think. It is hot. I'm going to let you squirm. I'm going to let you squirm on that one. I'm sticking by that. <laughs> so how, how, was, uh, how was your journey to Toronto? It was good. I really, well, just getting there, I enjoyed Canada's very efficient, and I know you have experience with this as well, but the Arrive Can app, which is something we still unfortunately need, but just the process of having like a competent government in charge of like determining if you're allowed in with COVID regulations and telling you beforehand you can or cannot, and here's the proof that you can. It was great just having a thing that you showed to the airline and said, okay. That was nice. I really enjoyed that. Did you have the same experience with Arrive Can? Yeah, it was even more seamless than I thought it would be because I, I got to the point where you're talking to the, the customs official and I was like, do you need to see that? And she was like, no, it's part of your passport. You're fine. See you later. And I was yeah, like, oh, that's oh, funny. I, I okay. did have to show Great. it at the border. Yeah, flights were good. I flew, well, booked American actually flew Republic Airlines for those of you who uh, take exception to the fact that would say I would say I flew American Airlines. No, I flew Republic E-175s. They were fine. We skirted into Pearson just literally minutes before before that Drecho. Is it pronounced Drecho or? Derecho. Derecho hit Toronto and I think like four out of five of Canada's major cities on, on that Saturday. I think we were one of the, the last arrivals into Pearson and wow, was that a powerful storm. We we got off the aircraft and this guy just turned pitch black. All the street lights came on and we were on that little tram between Terminal 3 and Terminal 1 to get the train into town and it just the storm front hit the side of the train like a, a ton of bricks. And it was it was something. I'm, I'm glad we got in because every flight after us coming from the US really either diverted back to its origin or, or somewhere like Buffalo. And that would have really put a damper on the day, go, trying to go to Toronto and ending up in Buffalo. <laughs> I, I could have driven here. Yeah, it was good. The flight back didn't actually take the flight we originally booked. Since uh, you're, you're well aware, we, we talked about this for quite a while, that yeah. AA4824 has the re operational reliability of something far less impressive than an airline should be operating at. It was canceled for three days in a row leading up to uh, our trip. And I said, I don't want to mess with that since it's the last flight of the day back to New York on American. And I'm not really sure how it works with the pre-clearance hall in Canada. If you're waiting for your flight and it gets canceled, you have to like re-clear customs to go back into Canada for the night. How, how does that work? I don't even know. I don't want to know. I mean, it, I the only time I've had to, I've left a country and come back in. It, it wasn't a Canada thing. It was in Sweden where I went to the wrong part of the airport and had to come back. And, and I came back in down this like, it, not secret, but it felt secret set of stairs. Because I asked somebody, I was like, shame. what do I? Yeah, it, it basically was where there was one metal detector 
and one customs agent and they looked at me like what are you doing and and they took a, a ruler and like slammed it onto my passport and and vigorously crossed off a corner of the stamp that had been put in there and they were like all right go and i was like <laughs> I, just, sorry but yeah with the preclearance thing i don't know i'm sure there's a robust process for this because flights from well, toronto I mean, sure, yeah. to new york get canceled all the time it's it's a not great route to fly, but there are literally dozens of flights a day. But American only has four of them, and if you miss that last one, you're you're cooked for the night. So I, I changed to an earlier flight, and everything was great. It was actually such a, a light flight there that there was such a, a large section of, of unassigned seats at the front of the plane that they had to rearrange passengers for weight and balance. And we ended up in main cabin extra with some free drinks. So that was a, a nice perk I didn't see coming. There you go, new flight. New seat, and you're ready to go. Mm-hmm. And spectacular views of Manhattan on the approach to LaGuardia. So everything turned out great. And the flight I opted to switch away from operated early that day. <laughs> of course. Of course. I didn't go anywhere this week, but my wife did. She flew down to Florida. And how'd that go? Well, <laughs> you know how it went. I do. Yeah. So she flew down from Chicago, landed in Fort Lauderdale. And they had had storms pass through. And so there were a bunch of departing flights that had gone back to the gate to fuel up again. And so after she landed, there were no gates. And so they sat on the taxiway for two hours and 56 minutes. Now, refresh my memory. At what time, after what duration do heavy government penalties kick in? Oh, that would be three hours. Huh. So just so huh. close. Not, that, <laughs> so not close. that you would have benefited it anyway. The government would, but so close to regulation. Yeah, I know. So United avoided that one very quickly. However, to their credit, she got an email today with a flight credit saying, sorry, that didn't go your way. Here's a little bit of funny money to use towards a future flight. That's nice. Which I thought was, you know, they didn't have to do that. So I, I thought that was a... A, a nice gesture to uh, to those that had to endure two hours and fifty six minutes. That's she was, nice. And, and she had asked me, she's like, "How, how many? What what time?" Do, I'm like, "Well, the the rules three hours." But you don't. She's like, "Well, what do I get after three hours?" I just started laughing. You get nothing. Right? Luckily, nothing this was happens. over text. Yeah. No, Luckily, nothing. this was over text, so she didn't know I was laughing. Nothing actually happens at the three hour mark. It's not like the the uh, emergency exits pop open and the slides deploy. Like it's just that the clock starts ticking on. Very heavy fines. It would the whole be nice. turns into a pumpkin, right? It would be nice if those fines went to the passengers, not the government. But that's just how this country works. There you go. All right, let's dig into the show because we've got we've got some good stuff today. We have the final step to get Jet Airways back in the air occurred late last week. The reincarnation of Jet Airways, which originally stopped operating in 2019 after being unable to pay any and all of their bills. They received their air operator certificate by the Indian authorities last week, and they are on their way to relaunching flights. They've got a pair so far of 737-800s, and they will be rebuilding their fleet from there. How long this 
reborn Jet Airways lasts is anyone's guess, but I do wish them luck. There is a lot of competition in the Indian airline market a right lot of now. Competition has sprouted up since Jet Airways is demise. Yeah, they'll be dealing with airlines that didn't even exist the last time Jet Airways operated. I mean, that is a very very fair point and and one that I think it'll be really interesting to see how they manage how they manage to to find a market for themselves again because they, I mean jet was basically the the number two airline under not under but next to kind of Air India as far as full service and long haul routes and things like that goes and then they, eventually they started pairing things back and they went from long haul full service to to short haul full service and then they just kind of in 2019 just, just stopped absolutely uh, imploded and, yeah and and not overnight but it happened fast and now there's there's so much competition in the, in the market especially in domestic low cost or lower cost not quite air india legacy airline but but more than that so they they they've got some headwinds to to face and, and it'll be interesting to to see what happens along the those same lines india's uh, akasa which recently placed an order a huge uh, 737 max order they have their first aircraft in full livery and so that will be going over to them shortly the registration on that one is vt Y-A-A. Yeah. Eddie had, I think, took an investment stake in Jet Airways as well. And and we all know how that goes over the years. For any airline. It, it never ends well for anyone. It was the, what, what did, it, they had what, two seven triple seven three hundred ERs in the in the the Jetty Had configuration? Yes. Jetty Had. Those came uh, all the time when I used to Plane spot frequently at a JFK. The we affectionately call them the the, the Jetty Had Triple Sevens. They were not hybrid Jet Airways Eddie Had livery, and it was nice to see those. But yeah, Jet Airways is going to be a shadow of its former self. I mean, they operated Triple Seven Three Hundred ERs, A Three Thirties, A Three Forties. I think least from South African, all sorts of Seven Threes. They had the Seven Three Eight Max at some point, which was grounded and then the airline went bust and then they were I remember seeing a bunch of them out in uh, Boeing Field but it was a, a sad demise as you said they were number 2 to Air India but nobody wanted to fly Air India if you were in India you wanted to fly Jet Airways that airline was the, the darling of, of India and then it just seemed like so quickly they went from the airline you wanted to fly to the airline that was getting its 777s repossessed in Amsterdam yeah they had 125 total 737 max orders. And I think they took eight. They, yeah, yeah. And then they also had 10 787-9 orders that they took zero of. And I'm I'm not actually sure if they they took any deliveries of the, they, they took deliveries of the max. I'm not actually sure they they operated for very long. I'm not sure they operated at all. Before before they 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 were grounded, so I mean it, it's it'll be interesting to see how they rebuild it and and what niche they they try and find themselves. Yeah, we'll we'll see if Jet Airways can come back. Maybe maybe Kingfisher can come back too. <laughs> oh, that's a deep cut right there. Yep, yep. That was. I, I did not wall. expect a king. I did not expect a Kingfisher reference in this week's podcast. Well, there are there are just some airlines that die but never truly are dead, and I feel like Kingfisher is one of them. That's fair. Speaking of 
always dying but never dead. Ah, good transition. Thank you. Thank you. Lufthansa and MSC Group, which is the parent of MSC Cruises, the, the shipping line, they have placed a joint bid to, between the two of them, control 80% of ITA Airways, the successor to Alitalia. What's being reported is that MSC would control 60%, so basically a majority stake. Lufthansa would take 20, and the Italian government, which is currently the 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 owner of the airline would keep 20%. So it'll be interesting to to see if that goes through. I know there were some other there was a a, a US led equity firm that was also placing a bid for it, but I I think that the Lufthansa one is based on the reporting I think it's better than than the equity group. So it'll be interesting to see how this all shakes out and whether this ends up being a a good thing for Lufthansa to have a stake. A 20% stake is seems to make a lot more sense to me than having a controlling interest in the airline. Yeah, I mean initially the reports made it sound like Lufthansa wanted to buy all of ITA, Yalitalia, whatever, and that just seemed to make no sense whatsoever. So this Still, I guess a little surprising, but much more sane in the end. Yeah, at least it makes a lot more. It make the the business case. I think is much easier to make for this type of arrangement rather than rather than taking a, a full controlling interest in, and kind of folding it into the Lufthansa Group. This seems like one of those things where they'll they'll be able to find find some commonality without having to really run another airline. Look, everyone knows that the the, only, the thing that Lufthansa needs is yet another airline under its <laughs> How many Eurowings is are we up to? At least two, maybe three. I mean, I was going to joke, but now I'm kind of thinking like, what else you could do with the Eurowings brand? Because you've got Eurowings, you've got Eurowings Discover. I feel like we need like a, a Eurowings Explore, a Eurowings, you know, a Euro. I don't even know what Eurowings Italy. <laughs> no. No, sir. Brought to you by Welling. <laughs> oh, what? Operated by Air Dolomiti. So yeah, it, an interesting development. Uh, money is finally being put forth. So hopefully that all gets figured out. The important thing is that it is not the Italian government's money this time, which is a notable change. Yes. Yes, indeed. And the Italian government will make some money on the deal. So I guess that's progress. Yeah. Shockingly, it seems like this whole thing may have actually panned out. Wow. I still can't believe it. Yeah. Here we are. I still can't believe it. And here we are. The other thing that happened, Jason, was this while you were on vacation? Because I know you you, you popped in for a bit because this is a an interesting introduction. Air France has said that they're going to introduce a new first class cabin, but they announced it in French and in English. And and John Walton brought up a good point that the French press release and the English press release don't really mean the same thing. Hmm, that could be problematic. <laughs> so, so it, have you seen? Let, let's first talk about what we do know here, and, and maybe walk back, walk ourselves backward into what was a little confusing here. Okay. So, what, what did they announce? So, last week, actually, I think they announced they would be retrofitting, I think, twelve aircraft with a new business class, specifically for JFK. I think because you know, as we like to say, we are special here. We deserve special things, and we get special airplanes, but. Just a week later, when I was in Toronto, they announced uh, 
they're they're doing it again. They're announced without really much of any detail that they would actually surprisingly be rolling out a new La Premier first class cabin, which is something that we thought if they didn't announce last week, maybe they're they're sunsetting it because uh, there hasn't been a new first class cabin for Air France in I guess about a decade now. But they in the English release, they referred to it as kind of like a couch, which made me think like, huh, maybe it's a variation of like Finnair's new business class concept, but longer? I I wasn't really sure. But then they eventually released some concepts or sketches of what it looks like. And it looks like a very nice seat with another seat. There are two seats. This is not that uncommon for new first class cabins, but they are claiming it is the longest suite in the market with guess how many windows? Well, I know that other first class cabins have three, so this has to have at least four. Five. Five windows. Wow. Five windows. Yeah. The uh, the longest suite in the market. Of course, this is just a concept. They actually have to you know, build the thing and install it. But they're they're saying from winter 2023 into 2024, they'll start rolling that out alongside new business class two, which is basically an updated version of their existing business class, but they put a door on it. Wow. Uh, that'll start rolling out this year. That's what I mentioned earlier about operating the JFK, but they'll also install that on 777-300ERs and new A350-900s from next year. And premium economy gets a new seat. So that's cool. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm looking at this con- so I'm I'm looking at the the Air France the new concept. That's its official name right now. New concept. Yeah, new concept. So I'm looking at the new concept compared to the existing La Premiere thing. So La Premiere actually has four windows, at least on the on the triple seven three hundred ER. It already has four windows. I believe the BAF cabin and the Lufthansa first class have three. But I will have to, I will have to book some first class tickets to, just just to check that out. I don't trust the photos. Jason. Can I come? I have to book the tickets. I, sure, why not? Okay. While I'm fantasy shopping, so the existing one ha- has uh, four windows, but that's not the point of this story. The point of this story is that it has a very well appointed. I will preface all of this by saying I have sat in La Premiere. I haven't flown La Premiere. I have sat. In La Premiere, I have looked at it from behind the curtain. <laughs> there you go. The chair itself is is, is quite large, and it has a, a secondary seating area. One of the most generous secondary seating areas, obviously. So you, you, when you're flying with a partner, you can have your meal with them. They include that in the new concept, but they take it a step further, and this is fascinating to me. It, it actually looks kind of like an Eames lounger. That that secondary seat, it actually almost looks more comfortable. It does than kind of the the prime seat. So I don't know if that's supposed to be. I don't know if that's by design where like that's where you're supposed to sit while you're sitting, and then you if you uh, like sitting or or that's the work chair or or what? I, I don't know exactly what. I don't know if if you've booked Air France first class, you can sit wherever you'd like. Well, I mean, there's that. But it, it looks it looks quite nice, and this is a pencil sketch. Will I ever fly it? Probably not. I mean, the, the, the problem. I mean, the, the problem with La Premiere is that there's almost no way to book it other than paying for it, which I tried to do once, and the airline ripped it out of my ones and zeros, phantom ones and zeros. I'm still upset for you. 
I, I mean, as well, you should be. When when I flew Air France business a couple of weeks ago, or I guess a couple of months ago at this point, the upgrade from business to first was $1,200. And I said, uh, thanks, but no, thank you. Yeah. I mean, it, yeah, I, I, at least on that route, I'm not sure if, if it's worth it. If it was that on the LA to, to Paris route that I was on, I, I would consider that just for the experience. Just to do it once. Just to do it once. I mean, like that, that would be like, okay, here, here's Christmas, birthday, et cetera, et cetera. But the the new concept looks very interesting. All that said, as Jason mentioned, this is just a concept. It is just a pencil sketch that they've shared. So come winter 2023, when they say they'll have the the concept implemented on the aircraft, it'll be very interesting to see what they actually end up with and which aircraft it ends up being put on and what they do with the business cabin on those aircraft. So a lot of things still up in the air. Yeah. I'd imagine this concept is fairly close to what's going to be reality since winter 2023 is not that far away. And these things take years and years and years to develop and actually build the seat. So I, I think what we're seeing is a close representation to the extravagant reality with their wireless tablet, two screens and multiple seats that we'll actually see in real in the real world. In the real world. I, I, I choose to believe that, that La Premiere is, is the real world. Sure. It's real world for somebody. It's real enough for somebody. All right. I'll go with that. Let's completely shift gears and talk about Boeing's ongoing response to not only the two 737 MAX crashes, but the delayed certification of the short and long, the, the Dash 7 and Dash 10 variances, 737 MAX, the delayed certification of the 777X, and the ongoing undeliverableness of the 787. Boeing this week got a bunch of aerospace reporters together and brought them out to Seattle. And their chief aerospace safety officer, Mike Delaney, walked them through the changes that Boeing is making and I'm quoting Dominic Gates of the Seattle Times here, beyond specific changes to its design practices and its manufacturing options, aiming to rebuild and improve its entire safety culture. So they're they're rebuilding that safety culture or improving the safety culture using a safety management system, which takes safety as the end-all be-all of the work they do. And encourages employees at every level to ensure that what they're doing is safety first, that the the things that they're doing have a basis in being safe and ensuring that the products that they're manufacturing, in this case, commercial airplanes, are as safe as they can possibly be. So I think this is a, if they implement it right, and if they really truly are implementing this across the company and and really kind of sticking to this, which so far seems that they are. I think this is a big step forward in rebuilding confidence and rebuilding trust in the company. Yeah. It certainly seems like steps, several steps in the right direction. I would still prefer to see leadership changes at the highest level, which it doesn't seem like we'll be getting anytime soon, but any step in the right direction at Boeing is progress we should all accept as a good thing. Yeah. I mean, and and one of the interesting things that they were talking about was 
the safety management system that they're, that they're rolling out is using a lot of things that weren't available even just a few years ago, you know, taking applied analytics and, and things from the manufacturing process, things from the fabrication process, and data and, and analytics from flight testing, as well as all of the airlines that are operating existing aircrafts to try and flag things. It's fascinating to me how you know there's so much data available. I mean, we work in an extremely data intensive industry and turning all of that data into information is absolutely one of the hardest things in the world to do. So for them to to take advantage of all of this data and try to understand what's happening and to ensure that they're using this information to improve existing processes, existing products, as well as develop new safer products, hopefully the this is a really good and well-implemented solution, and it starts to improve things across the board. I have nothing to add to what you just said. <laughs> Fair enough. The comments on Monday were also a bit interesting. This was Mike Delaney talking about the 737 MAX 10, which is still not certified. And the 2020 law that was passed by the US Congress in reaction to the investigation into the crashes of 737 MAXs, that law takes effect at the end of this year. If the aircraft, the MAX 10, if the aircraft is not certified by the end of this year, it becomes subject to these new rules. And one of those new rules means that the aircraft cannot be certified unless it has a flight crew alerting system. Delaney says that that creating this separate certification and separate piece of technology and adding it to the MAX-10 introduces risk and, and, and reduces the commonality between the, the 737 MAX flight decks. And that could be a problem which I feel like it, it it seems like the same argument over again about the Max flight deck writ large with the problems with you know different commonalities, different training regimens to to become proficient on the aircraft, and then dealing with those and saying, well, we're not going to do that. It, it seems like we're saying the whole thing all over again, and that didn't work the first time around. Yeah. Did we just take two steps forward and then one step back from the last story we covered to this story? It was on the same day. That's, yeah, yeah, there's some conflicting information there or conflicting sentiments, I guess. I get what he's saying. But at the same time, it's hard to comprehend that what he is saying is possibly true or possibly, I I guess, I don't even know what to call it. I don't either. But what, what gets me is that they're still talking about it because they've said the aircraft's not going to be certified. I mean, they've they've said as much as the aircraft's not going to be certified by the end of the year, which means it has to be added unless they somehow get Congress to say, no, you don't have to add it. I, are they going to call it the max exemption? I don't know. The, the but I mean, how's that going to, I mean, just, just thinking purely from an optics standpoint, how is that going to look if that's what happens? Not good, Ian. Not good. So this was like, it was like a a very like high note. This all sounds really good. And then this second piece came out and I was like, wait a minute, that that doesn't seem like the same note. 
So I, I, I get what he's saying, but it, it just it it sounds like they're they're playing two different pieces of music. Yeah, two very different pieces of very dramatically different loud music. It's like one hand doesn't know what the other hand is doing, but I understand they're between a rock and a hard place here. They don't want to dramatically change the design of the Max while they're also running up against regulatory issues. I, I We all thought they would have these aircraft certified and well in operation by now, but that's just not the fact. So what happens? There's only uh, you know a couple quarters left this year. What happens at December 31st when these aircraft aren't certified and they're not up to snuff as far as that legislation is concerned? I'm not saying the aircraft yeah. aren't safe, but the law is the law. Yeah, exactly. Right. We'll see. Let's stick with legal stuff and talk about something that we talked about two episodes ago when we discussed the Republic proposal, Republic Airways proposal to have pilots in their training program receive their restricted ATP at 750 hours, making that the same number of hours that military aviators receive the same certification. Republic says their training program is just as stringent and they the pilots are being trained on specific processes, procedures, and the aircraft so that their hours are basically more beneficial than just any other hours that you could get in any other plane. Our hours are more better than your hours. Exactly. The Airline Pilots Association opposes that proposal, and they have also come out against the proposal that uh, is has not yet been introduced in Congress, but is probably going to be introduced soon. And that would raise the retirement age for pilots. In the US, currently pilots are need to retire at 65. This would raise the retirement age slightly. No one has said exactly where that number would come down. I'm sure that will be subject to all sorts of negotiation. But this would the a forthcoming bill would raise the retirement age for pilots. ALPA says that they strongly, quote, strongly oppose this proposed legislation as there is no reason to change the retirement age today. And doing so would only increase costs for airlines as well as introduce unnecessary risks to passengers and crew alike. This is interesting to me in the sense that an airline is saying it would increase costs for airlines. That they're concerned about that is interesting just by itself. And the unnecessary risks to passengers and crew alike is also interesting to me because if you meet the requirements, whatever they are, to continue operating the aircraft, is that I've always been not confused, but interested in how we set these arbitrary – because the retirement age for pilots has been raised in the past. And and we we set arbitrary numbers and we say, okay, these are the standards to meet that you have to meet to – to meet these arbitrary numbers. And then when you reach this other arbitrary number, you are now retired. So they didn't go into details about why this would be introducing unnecessary risk to to passengers and crews. I would like to hear a little bit more about that specifically, what, what they're talking about. This is no surprise that ALPA is not for these particular proposals. They've also said that this would be a stop, not even a stopgap, a half measure, a quarter measure at best, because this doesn't solve the problem. It it just keeps people in the pool a little bit longer while there is still the problem of finding and training qualified pilots 
across the industry. Yeah, it might buy the extremely high-end, very expensive long-haul operating pilots a few extra years. But like you said, that that absolutely goes nowhere near even scratching the surface of, of solving the, the, the so-called pilot shortage. There are a whole host of things that need to be done to resolve the the pipeline of getting new pilots into the industry. And this is this is an immediate stopgap measure to basically stop the bleeding and get operations somewhat stabilized. But I'm not surprised that this is taking quite a bit of backlash, just like reducing the 1,500-hour minimum flight hour requirement to be a commercial pilot. Both, neither of these, uh, both of these are, are, are ideas with merits, but both of them are going to meet extreme resistance from multiple parties. Yeah, not not to mention that the the proposal to ra- which hasn't even been introduced as a bill yet, the proposal to raise the retirement age is there are multiple senators already on record saying they oppose this. So who knows? Not great. How how far this will get if it gets anywhere? But interesting that that Apple came out against both of those in the past week or so. Bad news for Russian airlines. More. Possibly good news for some airlines. A court has ruled that Russian airlines cannot sell their slot allocations at airports in the UK. So they this mainly affects Aeroflot in that they own or not own, but they have slot allocations at Heathrow. They can't use them right now because they have no way to fly through airspace to reach Heathrow. But courts have ruled they cannot sell the rights to use those slots. So come October at the changeover to the winter season, those slots will be returned to the the pool and reallocated. So airlines looking for for space at Heathrow are going to to find themselves with some additional options come October. Yeah, I think there were maybe five or six slots held by Lufthansa. And, I'm sorry, not Lufthansa, Aeroflot. And uh, did Versailles have any flights into Heathrow? Probably not. Not that I recall. I don't think so. S7 almost certainly did. So there are quite a number of extremely exquisitely rare slots coming up here for Heathrow. I'm sure JetBlue will try to snatch one of those up to expand its transatlantic service, especially from Boston. So this is a big deal. And these slots typically sell for many millions of dollars in a normal pre-COVID environment. So we'll see who ends up with them. This could be a, a big, big windfall for any airline that ends up with these. Kingfisher. Kingfisher. Hey, maybe Jet Airways. Do they still have their uh, <laughs> slots from the before times? I I do not think so. I think those are long gone. Yeah. And it's always interesting how they divvy out these available slots because there's a whole process at Heathrow for remediation slots and then selling them. So it, it's going to be a process, but someone's going to end up a very happy customer. There you go. I am a happy customer. That's great. Because Lufthansa has said that their 747-8s are going to be around for quite some time. Hey, that's great news to hear. Technically, Lufthansa didn't say anything. This this news actually comes to us from uh, Panasonic, the provider of the in-flight entertainment and connectivity system on board the Lufthansa 748 fleet, who happened to say that Lufthansa 748s will be retrofitted with their new 
next IFE system to be rolled out starting summer 2024. And if Lufthansa is spending the money to retrofit these aircraft, which are like less than 10 years old at this point, with new entertainment screens starting in 2024, it, it's fair game to say that these will be around for, I would say, at least a decade from this point. But we've been surprised before. Look at British Airways retired all of its 747s, even though some of them were just very recently refurbished for the JFK shuttle. Qantas grounded its A380s for a long time, even though they were just refurbished. Thankfully, those are coming back. But it's not unheard of to an airline to spend millions of dollars on refurbishing a fleet and then things change and then they end up retired. But this is good news nonetheless. If you have not flown on a 747 or if you have not yet flown on a 747-8 and you thought you wouldn't get the chance, you will if you book Lufthansa. Uh, Just don't wait take the opportunity to, to go grab it. I don't know if you can fly. And uh, who are the other airlines that have it? Air China, Korean Air. I don't know the status of either of those right now, but Lufthansa should be much more attainable for much more, many more people. And all 19 of them will see a new interior. There you go. That's good news. Not good news. There is more 5G C-band uh, retrofit coming. What now? What now? I, I don't even know what now. Okay. Well, well what now? What's happening? <laughs> the FAA and then the cell phone carriers have started again, as we've talked about before. They did their homework after they were supposed to turn their homework in, and now they're realizing, well, well, crap, some of these aircraft are actually they're susceptible to 5G C-band interference because their radio altimeters are, are crap or don't have the requisite filters installed that to prevent interference. And now it turns out that, well, the FAA wants airlines to retrofit a whole bunch of aircraft with these filters by the end of the year. They've broken it down into groups. And this story comes to us from David Shepardson over at Reuters. Group one and two, the FAA wants to be retrofitted this year and comprises of 1,760 aircraft, primarily consisting of Embraer regional jets. And Group 2 comprises largely of Airbus A320s. And David goes on to say that Group 3 is 4,800 aircraft and should be completed in 2023, but does not actually specify what Group 3 is. So that's a lot of planes. Yeah. Thankfully, it just sounds like they can add a filter to the existing radio altimeter. Not 100% sure on that, but that sounds like what it is. So hopefully not too arduous of a, uh, a process. It's not like we're talking about a major avionics retrofit, but this is just the kind of thing that happens when government doesn't completely align with private entities and nobody does anything until the deadline. Now we're still dealing with this potentially for years to come. Yeah, that'll, that'll be fun to see You know, in, in four or five years what what next technology comes along and they say, well, they, the, the tires don't work with this cell phone tower. So we need new tires or something. I, I just, hopefully the next time around, it'll, it'll go a lot better in the sense that they'll do their homework before it's due. I just want my phone to work better and the airplanes to be able to fly where they need to fly in whatever weather. Is that so much to ask? Apparently it is, Jason. Apparently it is. Yeah. Apparently it is. I'm sorry. <laughs> so you remember that giant kind of vote of confidence that Willie Walsh gave Boeing a few years ago and 
IAG said, you know what, we're going to order 200 737 Max. And everyone went, wow. No, I don't remember anything before COVID. Okay. So that happened. Yeah. Because it, it was basically at the, the height of the grounding. It was a huge deal. And IAG said, you know what, we're we're confident in this airplane. We know Boeing's going to to figure it out. So we're going to say we're going to order 200 of them. They intended to deliver. It was a memorandum of understanding, was it? Or it was a letter of intent? They said, we're going to order 200. They said. They said in a letter of intent, which means absolutely nothing. As Jason notes, there was no firm order at the time. Now there is. And Ian, tell me, is it as blockbuster of a deal as it was announced in 2019? It's if you break down the word blockbuster into constituent parts, it's a blah order. Oh, I guess. Okay. Well, what we're actually looking at is uh, 50, 50 airplanes, 50 aircraft, which is not 200. We're not good at math, but we're, we're good enough there. Yep. 25 max eights and 25 max tens. The 25 max tens, however, is an interesting vote of confidence for that particular aircraft, given everything we talked about earlier in the show where that aircraft has not yet been certified. So this will be interesting to to see when they start taking delivery of those, where they put them into the IAG group, as well as they reserve the right for additional aircraft somewhere around 2023-2024. So the total of 200, it's going to be less, but it still could be more than the 50 they've ordered. Yeah. In particular, IAG has ordered the not just any Max 8. They've ordered the 737-8-200. Got to come up with a better name for that. Somebody should contact Boeing Marketing. But they will be taking those aircraft with up to 200 seats. That's a lot of seats. Um, Ryanair has 100 and it's, it's the Ryanair version. Yeah, it's the Ryanair version. They have 197 seats on their variant of the aircraft. So I'd imagine these will not. I hope these will not end up with British Airways mainline. I mean, it doesn't say that IAG will actually outfit these aircraft to 200 seats, but it says it will enable them to do that. I hope they don't. Maybe they do it at at Welling, second mention for them this episode. Yeah, I I can't imagine these will end up at British Airways, but we'll, we'll, we'll see. I don't know. I, I don't know. But yeah, it's a very specific variant of it, that the ultra high capacity Ryanair variant. Yes. And and we will see what happens. Staying in the UK and closing out the show, this was a bit of fun that a YouTube prankster Max Fosh had. Folks landing at Gatwick are now greeted by a welcome to Luton sign. This is not the the first time such hijinks have ensued. There is a, a well-known gentleman who lives in Milwaukee near the airport that has had, I think for 30 some odd years, had a welcome to Cleveland sign painted on his roof. So not an original prank, but amusing nonetheless. And the only reason I bring this up is because Max used FlightRadar24 to figure out where would be a good place to to start asking around where he could put his sign. Nothing like using technology that relies on, <laughs> on satellites and air, ground receivers and servers in Sweden in order to prank people flying to one of, to one of London's tertiary airports. 
So, I mean, on the bright side, at least they're not actually flying to Luton. Yeah, that's that's the most important takeaway from this story. Absolutely. So we'll put a link to to his kind of how it happened video in the show notes because it it is amusing. At least I, I think it's amusing. Yeah. I'm not sure how yeah. the people landing at Gatwick feel about it. We need something like that here at JFK that says, welcome to Newark. Oh, that's just mean. That is mean. Nobody, <laughs> wants, nobody wants that. Oh, boy. Some pranks go too far and that would be one. That Yeah, there you go. <laughs> this has been episode 165 of AvTalk. I am Ian Pechnik here as always with Jason Rabinowitz. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.